Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we turn now to your word, we pray that you will open our eyes to its truth, to the glory of what you are saying to us. Father, we pray that your truth will resonate deeply in us. Father, we pray also for Pastor Kogo that as he and the rest of the young church in Nakuru, that they will gather in your name, that also your truth will resonate deeply within them, that the ministry of that church will go forth to the glory of your name. Father, we pray also that you will be with the Arab Maghrebi of Sudan. Father, another group that needs to hear this truth this morning. Father, make it so. As we turn to your word, we pray that more of this precious people will, will turn to you also. Father, there is nothing that a man can do. There's no convincing. There's no right word. It's only by your grace that this will happen. So we pray that your Holy Spirit will go forth both in our time with Pastor Kogo and among these people. Do your way with us this morning. Amen. Everybody loves a good story. Every good story has a storyline that has you on the edge of your seat. It captivates you. It, it takes you on a journey. And most of the time, you're not sure how the story is going to turn out. But you keep going because the story has touched your heart and it has engaged your mind. You're waiting to see what will happen next. There's typically a, a kind of dramatic climax that building up to it where you, you can't see the end, but you can, you can see the climax building. And a good story takes you through these scenes like you are actually there with the characters. And the odds look almost insurmountable in the story. Maybe the characters won't make it. Maybe there's something so extraordinary, something so amazing has to happen in order for the story to, to work out. It's a great story that we have here in God's Word in the book of Ruth. There's suspense and wonder. It has surprising turns. There's tragedy tragedy, and renewed optimism. There's love in this story, but not like in other stories. Not once are we told of the attraction between this man and woman. We're never told what Ruth even looks like, even. We know that she's young. We know that she's able to, to remarry and to have children. We're also never told what Boaz looks like. But we do know that he's older. This is not a love story that we've come to expect in other books or in movies and things like that. But it is a love story. I mentioned last time that it's really God's love story. This is all about God's love. His faithful, steadfast love. 
through the lives of these people, God is showing you and me and everyone who reads the book of Ruth more of who He is. The loving kindness that God has for His people. Now if you remember, a lot has happened in the story of Ruth so far. In Ruth, we've come through many different twists and scenes. You'll remember in the beginning of it, Ruth and Naomi, they lose everything. Their family is devastated. It's just the two of them and they're poor. They have nothing and no one. Naomi believes in God, but she's come to a point where she's unsure if God is even for her. And she becomes bitter. And she even says, call me Mara because God is against me. Ruth is alone. Ruth has no country even. She's left all that's familiar, including the only family she ever knew. Her life is turned on its head when her husband dies. The only thing that Ruth has now is this new faith in God that attaches her to Naomi. And they go back to Bethlehem, not knowing what lies ahead. How will it work out for us? God then shows them favor through the kindness of Boaz. At the end of chapter 2, God has provided for these women physically, abundantly even. But we're left wondering, will they have an heir? How will Ruth and Naomi be fully restored? This kinsman redeemer that Naomi has mentioned has to have something to do with it, but how's it all going to work out? God has in fact been behind all of it so far. The famine, the men dying, the return of food to Bethlehem, Ruth coming to Boaz's field, all along the way, through every twist and turn, God has been guiding them He's been leading them. And we learned last week, it's His steadfast love and kindness that Ruth and Naomi receive. Boaz, as kind as he is, he's God's instrument to them. Both of the women come to see how much God cares for them. Ruth has taken refuge under His wing. And when she's told what happened in the field, Naomi says, God's kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. In chapter 2, verse 20. And we'll see that God has even more in store for them. It's, It's not over. There's more in store for them and for us. We've been going through the story with Ruth and Naomi. We've been witnesses to their difficulties, to their despair, and now this new hope that they have. We've seen faith begin. We've seen it waver. We've seen it renew. And now we see God setting in place for even more. This is where the book of Ruth has brought us to. In chapter 3, we've come to a new turning point in the story. And there's a lot, there's a lot of risk in this chapter. All three of the characters that we just read about, all three of them are taking 
a lot of risk. And many have even questioned, is it wise what they're doing? This could really end badly for them. How's it going to work out? So what is it that drives them to do what they do in chapter 3? What's behind it? That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at what's behind this risk that they take. This love story is bringing us closer to to Ruth and, and Boaz coming together, but not in ways we expect. This is the only second time we're told that they've even encountered one another. And Naomi has this plan. Ruth carries it out and even adds her own piece to it, and Boaz responds. But what's behind it all? That's what we are coming here to find out. What's behind all of this in chapter 3? It's this. It's a hope that knows God is who He says He is, and that drives them to act. It's a hope that knows God, and that hope drives them all to act. It's risky. But the hope they have creates confidence to act. In the end, what I intend to show you is this. Hope in God leads to risk-taking faith. That's where we're getting to tonight, That's or this morning. That's where I want us to get to. Hope in God leads to risk-taking faith. Hope is what you and I need to get through this life. Hope is what leads us to the cross and to what Christ has done for us, what He's doing now and what He promises to do in the future. We hold on to what He says He will do. See, without hope, there's no, there's no wind in our sails to live out what God says. Without hope, our future is bleak. It's full of misery and torment. Without hope, there's no future glory or rest or peace. There's no eternal relationship that's free from all the sin and pain in this world. Without hope, there's no love waiting for us. Without hope, our comfort becomes a slave master and indecision becomes a prison for us. You and I need hope to get through this life. Hope is what every person wants, and it's what every believer has in Christ Jesus. It's what makes life worth living. Hope looks to the future and says, Jesus is there for me. He's preparing a place for me. This present suffering that I'm going through, it's temporary, it's not going to last. All that Jesus is for me outweighs everything else that I ever want to be, everything else that I have, everything else I go through, that hope that Jesus is waiting for me. It makes all the joys of this world seem so small and temporary because of what awaits all of those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Hope enables us to love and to serve and to sacrifice. It's what enables the characters in Ruth to to go on this risky path to bring honor to God and to love one another. Real hope desires for others to share in the blessings of God and to enjoy His gifts that He's given us. This is the hope that I'm talking about this morning. Before I move on, what's important here is to point out what I'm not talking about first. Before we get into this risk-taking faith that, that leads from, that comes from hope in God, before we get there, I want to clarify what I'm not talking about. We need to understand what I'm not saying, and then we'll spend the rest of our time this morning over what I mean by hope in God leads to risk-taking faith. Someone who hears me say that hope in God leads to a faith that takes risk can completely miss what I'm getting at and live with this bravado, this, this independence, if you will, that is so completely different from faith in Christ and how faith is really lived out. So I want to clear this up first, and then we can see how hope in God leads the people in Ruth to act the way that they do. First, what I don't mean when I say hope in God is to have wishful thinking. There's a kind of hope that that wants things to work out. I'm not talking about that kind of hope. I'm focused this morning on Christian hope. The hope that's seen in chapter 3 of Ruth. Hope in God is not simply desiring a good outcome. It's not crossing your fingers and closing your eyes and only listening for the good things that happen. It doesn't look to the future and turn to God to make everything better. That's, that's not where it ends. That's not what I mean by hope in God. I don't mean that hope in God is just wanting things to be different than how they are. Wishful thinking wants a certain outcome then only looks to those things that will make that outcome true, make it a reality. Wishful thinking doesn't consider all the evidence. It doesn't look at everything that's been said. It, it ignores all the important factors that are going on and how things are impacted. Hope in God is not wishing something were true. It's not that. Hope in God is also not blind faith. Faith is never blind. Faith is always trusting what you know to be true. Hope in God is not looking to the unknown and saying, I hope it turns out okay. It's not living in a make-believe world where truth is denied. It's not baseless or imaginary. Now when I say risk-taking faith, I'm not saying to be careless in your faith. Risk-taking faith does not ignore the dangers that are lying all about, all around us. It's not reckless with your life or with the lives of others. Faith that takes risk does not see it as a way to be more holy or to be more accepted by God. There's not a higher level of faith 
that stares fear down and is always willing, always full of courage, always able to do the impossible. Nor is faith a way to bring you closer to God. There's nothing that any of us, not anyone can do to be more accepted than what they already are in Christ Jesus. Risk-taking faith doesn't do things to be noticed. It doesn't do things for reward or to be the center of attention. So what then do I mean by hope in God leads to risk-taking faith? For the rest of our time this morning, I'm going to walk us through chapter 3 of Ruth. And we're going to look at it in three parts. The first part, verses 1 through 5, this is where Naomi is telling her plan to Ruth. And then verses 6 through 15, there's the encounter between Ruth and Boaz. And then finally, in verses 16 through 18, there's this conversation between Ruth and Naomi at the end of the day. And if if I do my part, by the time we get to the end of the chapter, chapter, you will know what I mean by hope in God leads to risk-taking faith. So, so let's get started. Let's look at verses 1 through 5 again. In these five verses, you'll notice there's a change in Naomi. This is a different woman than who we've read about up till now. This is, this is not the same woman who came back to Bethlehem telling everyone to call her Mara. This is not a woman who's in despair. Naomi even has a plan about the future. She's hopeful for the future. Someone who thinks that God is against them doesn't make plans. They're concerned about the here and now. They're not looking to the future. They're concerned about survival in the moment. And that's not Naomi here. Naomi has changed. She has experienced God's kindness in real terms. We read that back in chapter 2. She now sees God putting pieces together. And it's not by accident that Ruth came by Boaz's field. It's not by accident that Boaz came from Bethlehem on the same day that Ruth was there in the field. Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. And he's been incredibly kind toward them, doing above what's required by the law. Naomi had felt completely abandoned by God. She had no one who was part of God's people to look out for her. She even had a Moabite for a daughter-in-law. Now, what does Naomi call Ruth? My daughter. Ruth is her daughter. After experiencing God's steadfast love and kindness that we talked about last week, His Hased, Naomi is no longer self-absorbed and wallowing in despair. Because God has shown Himself through Boaz, Naomi is now making plans for Ruth, her daughter. She has concern for Ruth. She has in mind a new marriage. She wants Ruth to have a secure future. She's seeking rest for Ruth. She wants it to go well for her. In other words, she wants Ruth to have children. Isn't it interesting? This is exactly what Naomi prayed for back in chapter 1, verse 9. This is what she said. 
She said, The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. This is an example of God working through people to accomplish His means. Sometimes He will even use the person who's praying to answer the prayer. And now Naomi reminds Ruth that Boaz is a relative, which is a key part to her plan. The kindness that Boaz has shown is opening the door in Naomi's mind to what's possible. And Naomi's acting on that. Now what Naomi tells Ruth to do has some people wondering if she had the best intentions. Was Naomi so desperate that she was telling Ruth to be immoral and have a family any way she could? The wording is vague and and doesn't explain that. What is clear is that Naomi wants Ruth to have a husband. She tells Ruth to get cleaned up, to get dressed up. Some think Naomi was telling Ruth to stop mourning and visibly show that she was moving on. Like with King David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, when his son died, he got up, he ate a meal, and he moved on. Others think that Naomi was telling Ruth to dress up like a bride, to show herself that that she's available. Regardless, Ruth was to get dressed and go to where Boaz was threshing the barley, the place where they separated the grain from the husks and the stalks. In the middle of the night, she was to uncover his feet and lay down there. Why is Naomi telling Ruth to do this? What is she telling her to do? What's what's supposed to happen? Naomi says in verse 4, He will tell you what to do. This is risky. There's a lot of risk in Naomi's plan. What if Ruth goes over to the wrong man? What if Boaz turns her away? What if he doesn't wake up? And what exactly is Naomi telling Ruth to do? Naomi's plan was a signal to Boaz that Ruth was looking to him to marry her. This is what Ruth even says in verse 9 when she proposes marriage. And Naomi was depending on the character of Boaz for it to work out all right. This was potentially compromising to Ruth. It could have endangered both of the ladies. They both could have been shunned and excluded from the rest of the community if it doesn't work out. Naomi's goal was to get Boaz to act and to redeem Ruth. This was either going to work out really, really well, or it's going to turn out really, really badly. Naomi was acting on the hope of God continuing to show the favor that they've already seen in chapters 1 and 2. We're not told that Naomi had this guarantee from God that he would do this. But remember what Naomi said in verse 20 of chapter 2. We already looked at it. The Lord's kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. God had already proven this to Ruth and Naomi. Naomi was assured that God would continue her family line and continue to care for her and for Ruth. 
Now, was it wise what Naomi did? Probably not. And I'm only leaving a small window open because we're not totally sure all of the cultural aspects of this. So I'll leave a small window and say probably not, most likely not wise in her plan. It's really unusual what Naomi is telling Ruth to do. And there's no other reference for it in the Old Testament. So what do we take from this? What do we take from Naomi with her plan? Well, there's a good lesson and there's a warning. The lesson is, God always gives us a reason to hope. God always gives us reason to hope. Even in the darkest times when everything seems to be falling apart, God is there moving, He's never changing, He's always working for His people's good. During the famine... God was working in His people's hearts for them to turn back to Him and seek forgiveness to repent of their sin. When Naomi was bitter toward Him, He was setting Boaz's schedule to coincide with Ruth. And God continues to give His people hope. For us today, we have a a better eternal hope in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul says in Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We hope in the glory of God. God takes us through these things. It produces more Christ-likeness in us. And it produces the hope that we are hoping for. God never disappoints us. He always has our good in mind. He always loves you. Proving that love by sending His Son to die for you. Our hope is in His glory doing the impossible. Our assurance is what He's already done. We have confidence that He will look out for us better than we can ever look out for ourselves. The hope we have in God is an assured eternal hope. We can trust Him and believe His Word because He has and He always will fulfill what He says. The work of Christ guarantees that His kindness will not forsake the living or the dead. This means you and I live in this hope. And when we die, this hope carries us into eternity with Jesus. You can lose everything in this life and God still has you. He's keeping you. He's watching over you. He's helping you to endure to the end. And in your heart, He's turning your love into Christ-like love. This is why we can serve others without regard for ourselves. Because Jesus has already secured us with Him. 
He's keeping us with Him. Our future is with Him. He is our joy and delight. Not being served, not being given things. He is our joy. He is our hope. This is why we can sacrifice so much and have such joy. Because His love never ends. Our hope is fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the return of Jesus. And in that grace, God is steadfast. There's unending love for us. We can serve, we can sacrifice because of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. But there's also a warning here with Naomi's actions. Her plan is a rash plan. And while God never does wrong, people are prone to it. We cannot be cavalier with our faith. Faith in God comes from the hope that He gives us. But it never gives us license to act unwisely. We have to walk in ways that bring Him honor. That in itself is risky. It may cost you dearly to walk in God's ways. But God is faithful. When it seems like the famine will overtake you, all that you hold dear is taken away from you, God is faithful to His Word and He will care for you and He loves you. Always be aware that your sin is warring against you and God. Be on your guard and trust in the providence of God. Next, in verses 6 through 15, Ruth and Boaz have this dialogue in the middle of the night where Ruth goes beyond Naomi's plan and even proposes marriage. Boaz reacts kindly again to her and remains virtuous with self control. He did not give in to the temptation that had to have been there. Instead, he holds God's Word so dear that he brings up that there's even a closer relative that has the right to redeem her. But promises that if he doesn't, then Boaz will. He then gives her even more barley, approximately 70 pounds worth of barley that Ruth puts on her shoulder and carries back to town. There is risk all throughout this encounter. In verse 8, it says, At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet in the darkness of night. Remember, this is the time of the judges. This is a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's at midnight, and most likely no one else will know what goes on. Ruth doesn't know how this is going to turn out. And at this point, we're with Ruth. We don't know how it's going to turn out. The writer doesn't give us any clues. And Boaz Boaz asks, who are you? And Ruth responds, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. It can be translated that she said, spread your garment over me. Naomi didn't tell her to say that. Ruth is is taking a risk. She's not seducing Boaz. This is a proposal for marriage. 
spread your garment over me. Her words are in reference to the first time that she encountered Boaz and said that Ruth had sought refuge under the wings of God. She said, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. This whole time, neither of them is giving in to to selfish thoughts or ambitions. Ruth could have very easily gotten a child that night. Instead, she pointed to the kinsman redeemer and said, Boaz, redeem me. Boaz could have taken advantage of the young woman. Instead, he does what's right. And he mentioned that there's even another relative that has more right than I. There was risk in the two of them talking in the middle of the night. Risk that the two of them could be seen and who knows what could have been implied if someone saw them in the middle of the night talking. There's risk in both of them waiting even. Maybe this other Redeemer won't be as kind as Boaz has been. Let's look again at Boaz's response to Ruth beginning in verse 10. He said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after younger men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a Redeemer, yet there is a Redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if He will redeem you, good, Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Instead of disaster, it looks like God is going to richly bless Ruth. Ruth's faith in God has taken her from the land of Moab, a land where she is now a foreigner in Bethlehem, to a field where she finds favor. And now, quite possibly, to a Redeemer who will marry her, who will provide for her, and give her children. Ruth's faith involves a lot of risk. It's risky because she doesn't know how things will turn out. Only God knows. And He's orchestrating all of it. A life of faith involves risk Because we don't know what the immediate future is going to be like. But Ruth sought refuge under the wings of God and the safety under His protection. She knows that. She knows that He will be a sanctuary for her, a safe place. God didn't tell Ruth what the day was going to be like. He doesn't tell us how it's going to go, but He promises to all of His people that He will be a refuge. Life is full of uncertainties. We never know what will come up. We we may receive unwelcome news. We may be in an accident. We may make a wrong turn and end up in a dangerous spot. But if we take refuge under God's wing, He promises to care for us. Jesus is that refuge for us. He's that safe place. It's a myth to think that we can ever keep ourselves safe in this life. 
No decision will ever keep us safe from the risk that's out there in the world. Only Jesus is our refuge. The psalmist says it best in Psalm 11 verse 1. In the Lord I take refuge. Do you take refuge in Christ? Is Christ your safe place? Jesus Christ, our Lord, is the only one who can save us from the destination of where the world is headed. He is our refuge. If you do have Jesus as your refuge, then you are free to live with the hope that He provides. His life secures a future for you that nothing and no one in this world can take away. And the risk that exists isn't really that risky then. Nothing can come against you and remove you from His refuge. Boaz was obedient and followed God's Word. His faithfulness ensures that Ruth will find rest. Boaz is a small picture for us of what Christ does for His people. All who repent and believe in Him are assured of His faithfulness. He was obedient to the Father even to the point of death for His people, taking the curse upon Himself so that no curse falls on you. And He gives you hope. And He ensures salvation for His people. Having this safety in Christ enables believer to now risk it all for His sake. Because it's really not a risk. Now I'm not telling you to be flippant or to be arrogant and say God will handle whatever I mess up. But if God really supplies all of your needs, then He will give you everything you need to live out this life of faith. He will give you everything you need to do His will in this life. We don't know the outcome of Ruth and Boaz yet. But we do know how it turns out for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have eternal rest waiting for us. We can serve others now because we know that God is serving us and caring for us. Our hope is based on Christ who has secured a place for us at His banquet table and is returning for us. We can risk in this life knowing that our relationship with Christ is secure. He has not and He will never forsake the living or the dead. Last in verses 16 through 18. Ruth returns to Naomi and tells her how it went with Boaz. Now I want to focus on what Naomi tells her in verse 18. Please look with me again, please. Verse 18, she replied, Naomi replies, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest but will settle the matter today. Because of our hope in Jesus Christ, everyone, every follower of Christ can wait. 
We don't have to chase after other things. We don't have to build a nest egg for ourselves to be secure. We don't have to worry or fret how things will turn out. We can rest in peace knowing that God is fulfilling His glorious plan of salvation. The psalmist says in Psalm 27.14, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Isaiah says in chapter 40, verse 31, They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. At times it may seem like like you're taking a risk by waiting on the Lord. But He promises to give you strength. He will fill your heart with courage and trust Him. You can keep on trusting in Him. He will enable you to go higher than you can imagine. He will enable you to go further than you think you can and He will help you endure to the end if you wait on the Lord. Wait for Him to act. Trust Him. Do what He's told you to do in His Word and then wait for Him. You can relax in Christ because He's always working for your behalf. He will not rest until you are with Him in eternity. Christ is our confidence. Christ is our hope. Hope in Christ gives faith and enables us to then live sacrificial lives that brings God glory. That's what Ruth 3 shows us this morning. Let's pray.